Hey team, it's Matt Rinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Eternal Optimist Podcast today. Hello, friends. Your host, Matt Drink on here. And I am excited to bring to you today, Mr. Jared Muntz. Jared is amazing. You will find this out very quickly. If you've not heard of him before, a quick search on Google and you will see that he is a retired professional athlete. He owns a number of businesses. He is someone that is an amazing father and husband. That's his most important thing in his life. And he gives. And there's a consistent theme you'll hear throughout his life as he shares with you in great detail his rise to become a professional athlete. When he became a professional athlete out of small town in Louisiana, he had the odds stacked against him. He was smaller. He wasn't as fast. He had to overcome many things to get there. He's someone that focuses on the process. He focuses on the training. He focuses on getting his reps in every single day. A couple of his main thoughts, control what you can control. He chronicles for us in this discussion how he learned about mental toughness training, and he practiced it every day, and this helped him to rise through the ranks and overtake many of the people that were originally at a higher level than him in competition. But he worked on his game, he worked on his mentality, and he rose to a very elite level. He chronicles the pain the physical, emotional pain of a professional athlete who's at the peak of their game who gets an injury, a nagging injury, which ends up ending his professional career. And he chronicles this. He actually gives us a, a blog post link if you'd like to go and read his emotional telling of the story of how he finished his soccer career. He then chronicles for us his business upbringing. He is an amazing business leader. Some of his philosophies include leadership is all about radical self-inquiry. He leads an organization now, he buys businesses, and he helps to serve the leaders in them and helps to scale businesses. Amazing person. He lives in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's married happily, just an amazing man, and he's got some great insights. The first half of our discussion is about his professional athletic career. The second half of our discussion is about his insights on leadership and growing businesses. He's an amazing man. I think you're going to love Jared Muntz. Buckle up, get ready. This is going to be a great discussion. Look forward to hearing from my friend, Jared Muntz. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. 
Jared Munts. Jared, good afternoon, sir. Coach Matt, it's good to be here. I had my front row dad's band call earlier this morning. And I was bragging on you. Oh, well, I certainly would love to hear anything that's uh, that's praising and since I'm a words of affirmation guy. So what what'd you guys say? Yeah, well, we were just talking about affirmations and visualizations and I was like, Coach Matt's Coach Matt has some good ones and it, it works. So it was uh, it was fun. That's uh, I'm glad you said that, and I appreciate that. I am a words of affirmation person, straight out of Gary Chapman's Five mm-hmm. Love Languages book, which I actually read in high school before I even wow. ever had a girlfriend. But it was one of those things that, yeah, you know, I, I don't know why I actually read that back then. <laughs> Anyways, we digress. Uh, let's get to the stuff, because anyone that knows you or, or anyone that Googles you, invitation to Google now, friends, anytime someone looks you up, they're going to see some amazing things. And what we'd love to do today is just hear a little bit about you, hear some of the challenges that you've overcome along uh, the way, and then hear what you're creating now in the world. So all of that, uh, and then maybe a couple of, you know, a couple of questions about your favorite movies and sports, and you know, we'll see what happens. Cool. Uh, so be ready for anything, basically. I'm excited. I'm excited. Good, good. Well, let's kick things off. If someone wanted to know you, what are the two or three bullet points that are important that we know about you, Jared? Family first, business second. And then I'd say, depending on who I'm talking to, might frame how I describe myself. So if I'm in a soccer environment and it's coaching, I'll, you know, I'm usually a former pro player and soccer coach helping players. Our mission is to inspire players if you believe in it and back that up with hard work. Anything in life is possible. If I'm in more of a business setting, I'm going to talk around, I lead leaders, and uh, we have a portfolio of businesses. Excellent. I wanted to just sing your praises for a moment. I remember in the first week that we ever really met, I don't remember the date exactly, it was within the last year when we met that you made a personal video and sent it out to me on Facebook Instant Messenger to my daughter, Lily, who was just starting soccer for the first time. Uh, And we played that video a number of times. And now she's doing great in her soccer league. So thank you for that. But let's go to professional soccer. I'm sure that's a fun topic. It sounds like to be a professional soccer player, I mean, everyone, little boy grows up thinking that they are going to be a pro athlete. And you always hear this thought that, you know, it's like one in a million can do it. How many people out there are playing like junior soccer around the United States right now? Ugh. It's got to be. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, thousands. I don't know what the numbers uh, are, but it, it's huge. <laughs> there's, there's, it's one of the bigger youth sports out there globally too. So to take us from when you started playing soccer as a little boy to being a pro, what was that journey? And what are some of the highlights on that journey, Jared? It was really fun. So I graduated high school, 2001. I was playing, went played in college, played pro like 05 to 09 ish, retired with an injury. But I grew up small town, Louisiana, and I was a smaller kid, hit puberty late, went through puberty forever. You know, the high school freshman on the varsity team with no armpit hair, you know, like that's embarrassing in the locker room, trying to like hide, taking your shirt off. These grown men are around you and you're competing for their spots. And like around 11-ish, I think, is when I said, I- I'm going to play pro. I-, I didn't really know where I was going to play pro because MLS was just starting. Soccer was on TV once a week in Louisiana back then. But I had this real strong passion for the game. And I had a South African coach or two that were just really passionate. And they kind of brought that passion out in me. And then slowly got that quiet chip on my shoulder where you're too small. You can't do it. And it's like, oh, all right, watch me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so I just kind of 
kept improving. I just loved the process and training. I still went out and had a good time with my friends, but I, I might have like run a couple miles first and got some ball work in and then gone out. And I didn't know how, like right now there's a real clear pathway to, to being a pro almost on the, on the female side as well, where it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. get on an MLS youth Academy team, go to an, a good college, go pro. There's like this like clear defined path. And I didn't really have that. I just knew I wasn't going to get lucky in small town, Louisiana. I grew up outside New Orleans. So I needed to create my own luck. And that was, I, I joined a soccer team that was two and a half hours away. And this wasn't because they were better than my hometown team. It was just because they could go to the college showcase tournaments in the winter that my team couldn't because you couldn't play high school and club at the same time. So that's when I started really making sacrifices to like achieve my dream. But it was easy. Like that's what I wanted. So it was no big deal. I mean, you say it was easy, but two and a half hours away, is this a two and a half hour drive to get to a practice? Yeah. To get to like once a week, a practice for two and a half hour drive? Once a week and then the weekend. So two and a half hours each way. Each way, multiple times a week. What was that like? This is, this is what, how old are you at this time? Is this back when you were starting at 11 or is this high school? No, no, no. This this was like a sophomore, junior year of high school. So like 15, 16 in there. And uh, are you noticeably more talented than the teammates right now? And and feel free to brag a little bit or be humble either way. You are a pro. Most people aren't. So at this point, you know, 15, 16 years of age, are you just a little bit better than some of the players in the team or are you the best team player i mean how how would you frame that yeah i would frame that with you know i I am naturally more humble but i've gotten comfortable with like sharing this part so uh, Mm -hmm. there's a good story between me and another player and i was small and overlooked and the typical american coach always overlooked me because i was small Mm -hmm. whereas the foreign coach that tend to understand the game differently or see the passes see these little things in the game they would always rate me really high. So there was one particular player who hit puberty early and he was good. And one game he could score three goals and the next two, he wouldn't do anything. Whereas, and he didn't like try to get better. You know, I was always pushing it. So there came this time where I just started to surpass him. Um, And so, yeah, it kind of depended on who you were talking to about my game. Because to me, it's the little details, right, in sports and in business that make a huge difference. And some people can see those, and they're rare, and others can't. So, Yeah, I, one of the details you shared that I really relate to, uh, you're talking about, it hit puberty late. So did I. I mean, I was always taller than everyone. And I remember my first armpit hairs coming in and naming them. And that was in ninth grade. And then I still am not able to get a mustache, by the way. I see you have like a full stubble or, or you can grow a beard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can grow a beard, but it's like, I don't want to shave it off and then look like I'm 12 again and then hear that. And then, you know, it's like, you, get, you know, you grow up in a world where you're told you're 12 when you're like coming of age, you know, like, you don't want to hear that garbage. And now like, I'm not getting carded anymore, but still feel like, you know, it's anyway. Um, well, yeah, at the age of 45, I can tell you now that if someone ever carded me, I feel very uh, grateful for that. Yeah. And even though I, it would be cool to have a beard or a mustache from time to time, my dad had one in his 20s. He grew a mustache back in the cool time and in the 70s. I would say that having a baby face to the older you get is good, but not, as you said, not when you're 11 through 18 when you yeah. want facial yeah. hair and, and you want to be yeah. grown up. But I can tell 
that some of the things about you that you said you loved and your, your by language kind of lit up when you were talking about that you, you always loved the process, you loved to train, you still hung out with your friends, you would get in a couple mile run or practice beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that commitment to the discipline, the commitment to practicing the finer skills, you know, is that something that you really feel made that gap get bigger to the place where you could be a pro? Was it that oh, process? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. My my whole career, I can, I feel like I can objectively look back and say, like freshman year, was on the varsity but didn't start, but earned playing time as a sub, and sophomore year starter all district. It's like I'd climb a level, improve, and then become one of the better players. College, eighteen year old freshman. I went to a school that was D two. We were national champions. We only lost five games in four years, but we had all these old English guys. Like the average age was 25 or something stupid like that. And so when I came in, I'm, it was awesome. I'm this 18-year-old kid that had to kind of like earn the respect of the veterans, fight for time. And it was kind of a similar story of wasn't a starter, but on the traveling team, then sophomore year starter, junior year national champion. And then I started to progress even more and then got to the pro level had to figure it out. And my second year, I was really close to cracking in to a starting lineup. And my objective data that I have for myself is the team captain at the time was pushing for me to start. He's now an assistant coach at Man United. A couple other players on the team were like wanting me to start. And then I, I ended up getting hurt. But like I could feel my career go like that, like get up a level, push it, improve, learn, adapt, and then you just kind of keep moving. I love the framework for it. I certainly respect it. I attempted to play professional golf at one point and was not able to make any cuts So and then had injuries and, and whatnot. And I think that's the story of many would-be pro athletes or failed pro athletes, in my case, uh, not ever succeeding. So to see and talk to someone and hear kind of how the the recipe was made, it's it's impressive. If we could go one level deeper, I appreciate you love the training. I appreciate you love the process. Is this something you know, starting in high school that you're doing like an hour a day, five hours a day. Like what is the training regimen? Is it year round? Can you let us in a little bit on, you know, what did that process look like for, for practicing training? Yeah. In high school, I think this was like late nineties, 2000, 2001, I graduated one. We had AOL instant messenger, but we didn't really have YouTube or I was watching a Manchester United highlight video from their 1999 season. It was like two hours long. That's that's all I had really. And I would watch it almost daily and I would sort of study runs and it was like my version of the, of an online soccer Academy, which we've now created 10 plus something years ago. And, and I would just study it. And then I try to mimic some of that in my own training. I just had pine cones in the backyard and I'd be dribbling and juggling and fitness and there wasn't a lot for me to like emulate. I was just coming up with my own stuff. In I would say in high school years, I trained a lot, probably six-ish days a week. And I would be doing speed and strength training. I'd be doing fitness. I'd be doing ball work. I mean, just, I was getting it. I didn't, I didn't mess around and just kick the ball around when I'd go out to the field. In college, that pace kept up, but I started to learn about rest a little more. In high school or lower, you might be playing five games in a weekend. Mm-hmm. And in college, we would, we would play on a Wednesday and a Sunday. And our coach is like, we got to rest. We're, we're going to be too tired. I'm like, 
what? Two games in a week? Like, what do you mean we need to rest? And then as a pro, I started to learn even more about rest where you would train for, I don't know, maybe two to four hours, depending on the day. And then you're done. And then your job is to rest, get your feet up, ice bath, hydrate, take care of your body. I took care of my body pretty good. But as I got moving up and started to get more educated around rest and how important that was, um, I took rest real serious and then and then started to work on my mental game as well as a pro. Do you remember the very first time you ever took an ice bath and how easy it looked and then what actually happened when you got in? Can you tell us about that? <laughs> I don't remember my first, but dang, it's cold. Like <laughs> yeah. I, these little booties you put on your uh, – feet and now now the ice baths you go into a pro locker room like charlotte fc they probably got like beautiful cold tubs set to the right temp you know back then it was like ice in a trash can and you gotta like literally feel the ice as you're getting in there which makes it even worse so yeah usually put the booties on my toe sometimes have a hoodie on and you just get in there after a while you numb out and it starts to almost become addictive and somewhat meditative but Mm-hmm. Yeah, when my career was over, I was grateful I didn't, I didn't take any more ice baths. <laughs> uh, yeah, 100%. I, when I started to do like the Wim Hof breathing a couple of years back and, and started to practice the last 30 seconds, the last one minute, the last three minutes of every shower being cold, just flipped to ice cold as a way of mental training, mental toughness training uh, and yeah. focus. I, it takes me back to the very first time in high school I ever got into an ice bath at basketball practice. And it looks eh, no problem. But the very first time, I quickly jumped out because it was way freaking cold. So, okay. Enough yeah. about ice baths. So the training, you pushed it really hard in high school. In college, you kept pushing it, but in a more concentrated way and learned how to rest. Mm-hmm. You went to the pros and just let's face the fact, to make it to the pros in soccer, you got to be top 10% of 1%. I mean, the very, very elite, you were there. Yeah. And you don't have to be humble. I'm. You, you can be as humble as you want. I'm going to brag about you because I've watched some of the videos. You're super freaking fast. I wonder how fast you are now. Have you got out there and tried any sprints recently to <laughs> no. see how fast we are? <laughs> no, no. If I, if I were to go all out, I'd pull a hammy. I'd pull a groin. My, yep. my groin is what got me. So I, I, I play when I coach some, but it's very rare that I'm going to go full out because I just I don't want to pull the groin. And it's mm-hmm. terrible. I, I was... I wasn't the fastest for pure speed. I learned to get faster over five yards from like speed and strength training. So I was fortunate I got to work out with Kurt Hester, who's a speed and strength coach at Tulane Football now and does a lot of NFL combine guys. Mm -hmm. But he's not doing the first rounders. He's usually doing like fifth and sixth round guys and helping them get up to third, fourth, second round just based off their improvement in their lifting and their speed and strength and 40-yard dash times. So... I got pretty quick over five yards and I was also a very smart player and I learned to get smarter as my career was going. So if you were taking one step right, I'm taking one step left. Now we have two steps of space. So between being a little quick over five yards and thinking faster, it it really helped me appear more quick than I actually was. But all that training again, it got you and you had good coaches in the process. So excellent. Let's go to I'll time that. I'll time that one out a second. I didn't have a lot of great coaches. I had some really good teammates around me, so I learned a lot by observing. I didn't learn a ton from coaches. I've had one or two like 
youth coaches that I can point to for like a different thing. I have one pro coach I really respect, but I learned a lot from other people. Well, a a little nugget that the audience might pick up now is paying attention to learning as much as you can from your teammates and and like really uh, uplifting and praising good teammates. I think so many times nowadays, especially we see in social media, we see on TV that many sports, they try to praise the individual efforts and there's so much ego out there. And what I'm hearing from you is a little bit of praise for your teammates and those around you to help make you better. Yeah. Looking back on it, you can almost like unpack like different leaders and their styles or lack of style mm-hmm. or maybe there's some insecurity there. But usually the better teammates I had like, were just very confident in themselves and some of them would give you a little nugget here or there. But mm-hmm. as you keep moving up the ladder, it becomes more business and there's less psychology component to it. It really just depends. In my opinion, I think some of the best coaches out there are like 80% psychologists. Like if you look at Steve Kerr, mm-hmm. he talks about creating an environment people want to be in. That's 90% of it. 10% is the X's and O's and making mm-hmm. sure that the last guy on your depth chart is as confident and as hungry and as, and as taken care of as the, as the Steph Curry's, even though they have different needs from the coach. I I didn't see a lot of that in some of the coaches I was exposed to. And then last thing I'll say there on my teammates, because I was fortunate when I was a pro, a good amount of my veteran teammates are now coaches in MLS or college, which is neat to see. And they've been there for a while. So I I felt really grateful that even though I might've lacked any learning from a head coach that you might Mm -hmm. want, I picked up a lot just by observing. and, And those veterans are now coaching the Premier League and MLS, and, and I was around that. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'd love to uh, go and hone in on the injury because this is the part of the podcast we like to look at some of the challenges and how the challenges may impact, well, how we show up every day, our, our mindset in that frame in your life, and even, even your identity maybe. You know, as you are a professional elite in the world and there's an injury and eventually this is, you know, the career shortened because of injury. And then you've got to make that transition, which many athletes have a lot of difficulty with. So I'd love to start with the injury and kind of play it to the end of the pro soccer career and then how you got to your next place. So my first off season between my rookie year and my second year, the captain of the team, his name is Chris Armas. He gave me this book called score for life. It was by Jim Fannin, who was his sports psychologist coach and the former captain of the fire that was like a Polish national team player passed the book on to Chris. His name is Chris Armas. Chris was actually using this guy, like would talk to him before a game, et cetera. And he just had this humble confidence about him. And he was the type of leader where it was a lot more lead by example than talker, which is fine. But if he, if you got a deserved compliment from him, you felt a little taller. So he gave me this book. And it was really neat for me because at this point, I'd never experienced any type of mental training or psychology. And coming from a small town and then always being told you're not quite good enough and like, oh, these people are from England. They're going to be so much better than you. And like, I would somewhat start the game like a little insecure. But by the time the game was going and I'm playing and I'm not thinking – Lots of times I, like I could objectively look at the game and be like, well, all right, I was one of the better players out there. And then you'd have that confidence. And I went through a nasty slump my rookie season and then got out of it. 
But I started like really working on that book and like the affirmations. And this guy was a tennis and golf coach and he was talking about Michael Jordan, like pulling on a, an overcoat, like I'm getting in the zone and I'm taking it off and I'm out of the zone. Okay. So when I was doing my ice baths at night resting, I'd be like doing my mental rehearsals and training. And I went into that second year preseason fit as could be hungry as could be. And just like really mentally confident. Like if I made a mistake, no big deal. Coach said something to me in my head, whatever coach next play, you know? Wow. Um, you went through mental toughness training. Yeah. To get to the place where year two, you were hungry. You were ready. You were able to brush off criticism, brush off the immediacy of the emotion of the play. And that was a big transformative, just that off season alone. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. I just got really like training on my own in my hometown and just got hungry going in where, okay, coach, who's playing the 400 grand guy a year, who's not performing, but you're not going to look at me because I wasn't your draft pick, even though other people are wanting me to start. It's like, whatever. I don't care. I know, I know when I play well and I know when I don't, not in a cocky way. Just I know yeah. when I play well, and I know when I don't. And if I'm playing well and you're telling me I'm not or whatever, yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna I'm not gonna change. And the ship is getting bigger and bigger, and you're getting hungrier. And so I, I share all that because it's relevant to the injury. So I, I picked up an injury that preseason, and I'd been playing really well, and picked up a little knock on my ankle. It got undiagnosed for about a month. Turns out it was a bone bruise. So I've been playing on a bone bruise, which I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but it's like excruciating to, to walk on or run on. And they're telling me I'm going to be fine. And these trainers are telling the coach, like, I, like I'm trying to skip out of practice. <laughs> we had these guys for a year drive me crazy. You know, I'm like, what do you skip out on practice? What are you talking about? Like, we're all pro athletes here. Like, no one's skipping out on practice. Anyway, that led to some off-balance running. And that eventually caused uh, a tear in my labrum. Mm. So that season, at some point, I took a swing and tore my labrum in my hip groin. It went undiagnosed for a while. I opted to have uh, a surgery where the recovery would be a little longer, but more successful, likely. I was told I was going to be third year at Chicago. Then come to find out I wasn't. And I was like, oh, thanks. You know? Mm. I based my surgery decision off that. And then I, I, and then I was, went to a team in Puerto Rico, which is a league just below MLS. And I was just dealing with that injury. Eventually I, f I had to find my own doctor, my own solution. Turns out it was a labrum tear. They thought it was a sports hernia. I had to have another surgery, tried to come back from that. And it was just one of the big lessons in that sports psychology book was control what you can control. So it kind of ties back to so it just became very clear to me, I love soccer. Soccer's not loving me right now. I was always the player moving up levels, small improvements daily. And now I'm going backwards. You know, I'm grabbing on players when they run by me versus like being as fast as them and giving them a shoulder. And it's just like, I don't want to scrap it out in minor leagues, not being the player I was like, it's not, it's not worth it to me. I've given everything I got to this game. I love it. It's been so much fun. So I made the choice to retire, cried my eyes out, wrote a blog post. This was 2009. 
I had just gotten that online soccer academy going. And then the next day I'm having a beer on a Tuesday night, which is like a rare, was a rare thing when you're always taking care of your body, always training, always pushing it. And I had, I had probably done about 10 soccer camps by then. was just getting this online soccer academy started. had no idea what I was doing in technology business, but figuring it out. It was an easy transition for me because I had no regrets. It feels like through all of that, that grueling, challenging, fair or unfair process that we had to go through, whatever it was, you went through it. And after that night of, of crying your eyes out, which I think a lot of us can relate to who realize where we're at in that professional space, it, it just, it's not going to work for us for whatever reason. You didn't want to be the minor league journeyman. I can admire you for making that decision. So you made the decision, you had that emotional experience, and then did you make a conscious decision to let go of that? What happened at that point? Because at that point, you made a decision to move forward, control what you can control, and I mean, off to success. So, yeah, it's it's a it's you grow up in an environment, and I think even to this day, we have this environment of like never quit, never quit, keep going, work hard. And at some point, and I think this is part of being a leader, you got to objectively look at all the facts that you have and then make a decision based off the information, a realistic decision, right? So there was a little of that psychology coming, but ultimately it kept time back to control what you can control. And yeah, it was really just like I was doing everything, two surgeries, finding all this, like spending money to like go do this on my own and just ultimately just wasn't fun anymore. But it was easy easy in the sense that it was just like very obvious to me it was time to, time to move on and and I can help other people reach their dreams in soccer and that that was very rewarding and still is very rewarding today's episode of the eternal optimist podcast is sponsored by take a shower yes take a shower we're all working from home now or we're all doing the digital virtual commute Team, when you're there at home, get up, take a shower. You'll feel more refreshed. You'll smell better. You'll feel better. Your body will be less tense and more energized and ready to go for the day. This is a serious message. Try it. Take a shower. Your sponsor, the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Well, that brings us to the second part of our show. You've chronicled some of the challenges and you've shared with us from a professional athlete perspective the journey up, the practice up, getting there, the challenging part of the business of being a pro athlete with doctors and different places and leagues and injuries. And now you're ready to embark on a, a new venture. And I'd love to hear about what are you creating right now in your life that's exciting for you that you can share with our audience? All right. So fast forward a little over 10 years. Is that, is that what I heard there? Sure. Yeah. 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 I'd love to hear just the exciting you know future that You've had these challenges, you've had life, you had the experience, and now you're creating something. Yeah. Well, I think some of the patterns that I've continued in my life outside of soccer is that small improvements daily, equal big improvements over time. That's one of our core values, actually, is small improvements. And I didn't know what I was doing in technology back then. I had a decent small business mindset, but no technology mindset. And uh, fast forward to, to now and coming out of a pandemic, which depending what business you have, depends how the pandemic affected your business. 
My wife and I own some Pure Bar Fitness Studios, which is boutique fitness. We're based in Vegas. The pandemic was a huge pain in our ass. Mm -hmm. Soccer camps were affected. We're now coming out the other side of that, which is nice. And we're getting back to growth. And it's like control what you can control. It's been a hard time because there was so much out of our control the last two-ish years where you didn't know what game you were playing and the goals were moving and it's just kind of we're coming out the other side and we're I'm excited about our pure bar is growing again. We've got we've kept full teams in place. We've weathered the financial storm pretty well. Our soccer camps company, which is online soccer academy in our videos, that's lined up to have a good summer. We just hired uh, Alita Growth over there, which I'm pretty excited about. He coached for us for a couple of years and I've mentored him on some operations and learned some stuff from him. And so he's gonna lead us there, which I'm pumped and and I'm kind of coming into this role of lead leaders. So between our current businesses, leading those leaders to scale and grow their teams. And then we started a company called Giverfly, which is a, a Giverfly is a term we came up with this idea of a, a leader on a never ending journey to become a successful giver. And essentially it's a small mm. business holding company. So we're, we're actively looking at small business acquisitions where we put in one of our next up leaders to run it following like our lead lightly leadership style and our what we call tech small operations and empower them and they get some business ownership and we'll keep growing our portfolio. You have a lot of things you've shared right now in the last couple of minutes. Let's unpack and go back to the beginning and unpack one of them. You said that you're still focused on small improvements daily, which lead to large improvements over time. You know, for our listeners, what's an example of maybe a small daily focus, a small daily measure you take that's leading to growth over time? For me personally, you know, my number one thing on my love list, professional love list is, is learning and holding space for myself to read and learn or, or listen to a podcast. I do like to read. That can be challenging in a world where you feel like I better, let me just go out there and coach a little bit more, or do this to like earn the next paycheck versus build long-term. And you can kind of see the, the learnings and lessons that have come out through these books and experience just keeps compounding over time. Next week, we're going to have our first next up leader call and we'll probably have 15 ish people on there in our world that are interested in what we're doing at give or fly. So I guess those leadership lessons that have been coming out are now flowing into our businesses at scale, which is pretty cool. I want to give you a platform and talk about Give or Fly in a moment. Before we get to that, let's let's go back for a second about all the reading. I love what you're saying. I love to read every day too. It's one of the things that I like to model for the kids so they can see that, you know, it's it's the last time I read a book wasn't my last high school textbook. It's something that they see me doing every day. So in my mind, that's that's an example of a small thing every day that I'm betting will pay off long-term. I mean, who knows? My kids can end up, uh, you know, not reading books, but reading every day. So if we go to your reading every day, what might be one book that's had an impact on you in the last year or so since the pandemic? Yeah. I'll, I'll say a book that's had a positive impact on me that goes with the small improvements is I'm, I'm naturally extroverted. I can be the guy on stage. I can make a video. Like it's exciting. I, I'm also humble and that I don't need to be that person, right? Like I don't need to scratch the itch, but I know I can motivate the crap out of, I can motivate a lot of like people and kids. Highly scientific terms, people. <laughs> yeah. Motivate the crap out of everyone. And, and <laughs> you know, kids and adults have come up to me with like their hands shaking 
because they love the yeah. video so much, right? Mm-hmm. So they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I've learned in my leadership journey is sometimes people that are too charismatic and too extroverted as leaders, at least this is what I've read and my belief is they can start to attract the wrong people around them and, and other leaders aren't going to thrive as well because that leader is always in the spotlight, whether they mean to or not. And some have ego things and mean to, and, and, and others like for me, I, I could accidentally be blocking people. So I've uh, a book that was really impactful for me that I read pre-pandemic, maybe four or five years ago, was is it "Quiet" by Susan Cain, and it was recommended from the Give and Take book by Adam Grant, which Giverfly was inspired by. So Susan Cain helped me understand it's about the power of introverts in a world that doesn't shut up, and I and I learned to adopt more of these. Uh, positive introverted leadership traits. And some of them are ask more questions, listen, write with clarity versus just think out loud. And that has been really beneficial to me because now I find myself where like we have a leadership strategy called Lead Lightly where I'm going to spend quite a few hours organizing this doc and then we can build training around it. Whereas in the past, I wouldn't have done that. you know. And now that, that doc and that information and that training is essentially like operational code or training code and we can share with our leaders and our leaders can share with their leaders. I think that's one of the things I've come to really love about you. And even before we you know, hooked up today in the podcast, I, I've known you as the, the man that, well, family first, you've always got a smile on your face. So you've always got a good energy about you that's uplifting to me. And you always ask a lot of questions uh, and they're deep questions and they're, they're why questions, things that make you think a little bit deeper. You know, that was an observation when I first met you in our very first discussion ever some months ago, you, you asked a lot of why, and it wasn't a surface level, ask the questions and it's done. You ask, then you ask the follow up, and you had a very positive active listening skill, uh, of kind of sitting back and just going a little bit deeper. So yeah, can you Talk about how that's translated to leaders leading, to give or fly, just the way that you are are building things now. Yeah. I mean, ask as a learner, not a challenger. Give people a platform to speak, hear what they have to say. Guide them to the answer versus tell them the answer. So much of what I was naturally doing as a coach, I was starting to read it in other places and then learn other stuff and that isn't meant to sound like a brag. It was just like, okay, well, if I'm naturally doing these things, why don't I go learn it somewhere else versus us all getting to the same point philosophically. But I would say um, I had a podcast maybe 10 years ago where I'd interview pro soccer players. It's like a beyond the glory type show, like how they made it. And it was awesome. Landon Donovan was on Alex Morgan was on. Wait, no, Carly Lloyd. I don't think Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, like some big names. It was super cool. But no one watched it. <laughs> no one listened oh. to it. <laughs> what? Well, back, big then, back then, <laughs> 10 years ago, a podcast, like there was no distribution. It was just like, but what was really cool was I learned how to ask questions. I learned to shut up. I learned to listen. I learned to think like a journalist, not put words in someone's mouth. And that has opened up all kinds of opportunities in interesting ways as far as leading people and learning from them business deals where I can ask that question. I can probe a little deeper. And I also find sometimes really smart, intelligent people, they stay surface level 
And they'll say things like, just build a great team do that, and do this and that. And what I've learned is to ask that second question, what are one to two things that help you build a great team and probe at that a little more? And that gets out more information. Mm. Yeah, wise. The way that you are sitting right now, your finger like this is the way that you ask questions. I mean, I, I remember it. And it's a very warm way you do it. And in fact, when we've been on a couple of, whether it's Facebook posts together or Telegram threads together, you're always inviting people to meet each other. You've invited me to meet a couple of your friends in Facebook, if I recall. And is that part of the, the philosophy of leading is being a connector in some way? For me, it is. So my love list, my professional love list is learning the creative side of business branding, marketing, strategy, culture. Number three is making friends with strategic value. And four is, is leading. Whether I'm coaching a five-year-old or whether I'm coaching a business partner or I'm learning and then applying something to somewhere else. What is the professional love list, Jared? Because I love the four principles here. How did you come to this professional love list? This, there's a guy named Cameron Harold. He was the COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And he's been on Eric Van Horn's podcast, Franchise Secrets. He's a, he, Eric's a front row dad and runs a franchise group called Franchise Secrets that I'm in. Decent guy. Yeah, I love him. He's great. He's fantastic business coach. Like I've read almost all his books, learned a lot just by listening. And I, I think he's learned a bit from Dan Sullivan at Strategic Coach. And Dan Sullivan talks about this idea of you have a list. What's your unique ability? Like what gives you so much energy and you're just so naturally good at? What do you, I forget what his other terms were, but it was like something you could do, but you don't really care for it. It was a few terms. I tend to sometimes put my own spin on a few things or try to make it a little more like grandma would understand it. So I have love list, don't mind list, hate list. And this helps me understand if I'm on my love list, I'm going to be so energized and just flowing. If I get on my hate list, which is uh, sales follow-ups and paying the bills, okay. like all this, like, you know, work that does need to be done. And, and some people enjoy that. I don't. And I've learned to get more comfortable with that over the years. So I'm always trying to get myself on my love list and have, you know, my team members help me stay on love list. So that's where that came from. I love it. Is there any transition? I know that you mentioned at the start that, you know, family comes first. Is there maybe a big leap here. Is there a personal love list as well or a family love list? I mean, does this go to other places in your world? Yeah. Yeah, it does a little bit. And and I do want to tie back the question of like why I connect people. So in the book, give take, in the book, give and take, it talks about Adam Grant puts people in three categories, givers, matchers, and takers. And givers, he says the most successful people, givers like give without expecting anything in return. Matchers will only give if they get something in return or they're at least keeping score. And takers are just narcissistic pricks that are usually just take, take, take and never give back and suck the energy out of you, right? And yeah. he needs to talk about this in the book. He says, who are the most successful people in the world? And when I ask people this question, usually they say matchers or takers. What Adam says is the most successful people in the world are givers and the least successful people in the world are givers, Meaning at the bottom of the scale, people just give, 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 but they burn out. They don't have a system around themselves. They say yes to everything. And at some point they burn out. Think the underpaid teacher who volunteers for every project or the, you know, 
750k a year business owner who neglects their family and constantly goes after new deals and can't figure out why they're unhappy even though they have a bunch of money. Whereas the successful giver is going to build a system and if they get asked the same question over and over again, they're going to make a how-to video. Or uh, a step further would be having their assistant share the how-to video when someone random just asks the question. Or they're going to have office hours and protect their time a bit so they can give at scale. And for me, I'm a natural giver and I'm continuing to learn to be the successful giver. But at least for me in my style, making introductions is one way I I can give at at scale. So it's now just like imprinted in my brain almost very algorithmic. If I meet someone that I like and I want to have a relationship with, I'm thinking, how do I give to this person? Logically, I know at some point, like there's, it comes back, et cetera. That's not why I'm doing it. So think of a front row dad example. I see someone ask a question or message or like, I know they're interested in this and I know someone else who could do why, like I'll, I'll somewhat try to pair them together because they, they may not know each other. And mm. for me, it's really fun to see those connections uh, happen. I think you've just given some tremendous business advice. I see out there a big challenge all day. You said give at scale and the idea of maybe making a video or even having the uh, executive assistant answer the question. I mean, giving at scale, tremendous advice. And to build on that, you, I mean, you offer me something without any expectation in return back in October, whenever it was, when you made that video for my daughter. And that was absolutely amazing. And for whatever reason, that being one of them and you just being awesome, I love you for that. And I want to help and do anything I can for you. So it's, it's just spreading a positive, spreading, giving out there in the world and business. And it can come back to you. Yeah, it can come back to you. And I think the important thing there is to not have the expectation, but to also protect yourself when it does like to not be disappointed when it doesn't come back. And then also not let people take advantage of your giving. So like for me personally, something I do is if someone asks for my time and I don't have a relationship with them yet, I'll say something like, yeah, I'd be happy to help. Schedule's pretty tight, but reach out in two weeks and we can schedule something. Mm-hmm. And or if you really don't like them, schedule's tight, you know, reach out in two years and now let's do something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a balance there, right? Where if you say two years, they're going <laughs> to think you're a total jerk. But if you say two weeks and then they don't follow up with you, well, then you know, right? So yeah. there's these little things like I'll do to try to protect myself. And some of this, I, I just naturally had to figure out because mm-hmm. in 2010, I'm just getting on YouTube. I'm trying to Gary Vaynerchuk style, reply to every comment, answer every question. These are for free videos. I don't even know how I'm going to make make a living off these things yet. I'm just replying to people. And at some point, you just get the same question over and over again. How do I shoot a soccer ball? How do I shoot a soccer ball? I'm typing the same answer, typing the same answer. Next thing you know, I've developed like an FAQ where how to shoot, I search, shoot, copy the answer, paste it in. And then at some point, I just stopped replying to comments for for those types of questions. Cause like, I can't keep up with this. The reality is I've got a video. It's free. Go search it yourself. I'd love to do more, but if I'm burnt out and exhausted, I'm not building a team to make more videos. So ultimately you're going to lose out. Mm-hmm. And that's how you justify yeah. feeling bad about saying no. Now at some point, now we have technology where I think there's ways to almost like build a chat bot or start to have an assistant or two, keep an eye on the comments with, and they can answer some of these. But otherwise if you're, successful and in demand, you can easily get all of your time just zapped. Mm -hmm. After someone asks you, how do you shoot the ball? 
like a thousand times. Did you come up with any like really short kind of funny answers? If it was anything in particular that uh, you kind of got smart with it or did you take the high route professionally and just, I, I took the high route professionally. Okay. And we, co- we coach our coaches to do this too, because from, from their perspective, it's the first time they're asking you from yes. your perspective. It's the thousandth time you've answered, but that's not their fault. So we, we, we really try to tell our coaches, you know, look, like at the end of the summer, you've done five camps maybe, and you're, you're getting tired and you get that same question you got. You got to answer it like it's the first time and smile because from their perspective, it is. That's, that's great feedback. So that, that's how really try to really try to look at it. And, and also for myself and our coaches and people like our words make a big impact. I mean, I have some unreal comments and testimonials where kids are saying my heroes are Ronaldo, Messi, and Jared Monks. You're like, oh. what? These are the top players in the world. And and I'm in there, in their hero group. And and what I learned over the years, it's because I'm relatable or our coaches are relatable. And they're learning from us. Like Ronaldo isn't really relatable and most people aren't learning from him like they can from us. So I try to be very mindful of like even if I'm tired and I'm on a soccer field, I got my game face on because my words will make a big difference because I've seen it over and over and over and over again. So uh, try to be very aware of that. I love it. How you doing things, how you do everything. I, I love the, your your commitment to you know being the best you can be whenever you're there. I love and respect that about you. I'd love to go kind of the final part of our discussion and seek out a piece of advice. Uh, advice for... Let's say someone out there who is struggling with leading. We've transitioned from you know, earlier in life to now leading leaders and setting a high bar for the way that we lead and we give. If there's someone out there that is looking for advice or feedback on leading, where might be a good place that you would encourage them to start? Yeah, for me, and this is the advice that I give myself and my closer business partners. And from what I read and what I'm experiencing, leadership is just this like radical self-inquiry. You got to know yourself before you can truly lead someone else. And my two most impactful books on me around that and my closest partners who have also been very impacted is uh, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And another book called Reboot uh, Reboot.io, I think is the website. Mm-hmm. And Ego is the Enemy. Ryan Holiday writes about Stoic philosophy, which a lot of great coaches and leaders, like you can map them back to Stoic philosophy, control what you can control, have a feeling, but doesn't mean you should be like acting out. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Ego is the Enemy. I never thought I had an ego. I don't think I have an ego. But when I read that book, I was like, oh, crap. I got a little pinch of an ego. Not in the cocky way, but in the want to prove people wrong way. Mm. And that book helped me realize what got me to here won't get me to there. That quiet chip on my shoulder that like drove me for a long time, that's not serving me well anymore. You know, and it's just like, I don't have anything to prove to anyone except I'm only competing with myself and my vivid vision. Mm. 
that book was really impactful on that. And there's, there's other solid nuggets in there, but that was a big takeaway was what got me to X won't get me to Y in our leadership journey, hard work, grinding through that's got to change a little bit as we start to have teams and empowering them and systems, et cetera. The reboot book is by Jerry Colonna. He is a mental strength coach to pretty elite CEOs. So big venture backed uh, tech companies like Etsy might have their CEO there. And his book was really impactful around one of the things, the ghost in the machine. It's like old code. That's just like throwing a bug on the website that you can't quite figure out. And what he talks about is going deep on stuff in your childhood that's impacting your professional and personal life that you may not even be aware of. And mm-hmm. and that was really powerful for me and has been powerful for some friends of mine. Like you might you might subconsciously be building an organization to fulfill a need or a lack of something that you're not even consciously aware of. Mm. And uh, it's like regularly people break down crying in front of them. And, and also this idea of the other thing was the little soldiers. So for example, if you grew up in a family where you didn't have money, you're always fighting for that dollar. You're always protecting it. You're always driving it. And you needed that to survive. Right. But now you've yes. survived and now your company makes millions and you're driving people to the, like, you're driving them to burnout because you're like, and you're not spending the 20 grand to make everyone's life easier because you got to keep it. Cause you're, you haven't like worked through that part of your journey that, Hey, you're not a poor, poor farm kid anymore. You know, you've got fun Absolutely. and spend this. It makes financial sense to spend it. You need to let it go on the psychology standpoint. So that's amazing. I'm I'm so appreciative that you shared this to finish off because it's not just as simple as go and take action. What you just shared is, I'd say, a manual or or kind of step by step playbook to get to great or to get to elite status. It is radical self inquiry, more than just below the surface, deeper down. You know, so yeah. I appreciate that you're able to go there and even think and, and lead your teams with this mentality about radical self-inquiry. So strong. Jared, how can listeners find out more about you, connect with you, just anything yeah. that you can share about what you're up to? Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. And, and one thing I want to end on is this. Cameron Harold has a book called Vivid Vision. And I'd, I'd highly recommend people read that as well. And he talks about it for your company, but you, I've written one for myself personally. But it's like two or three pages. It's not just like a mission statement. It's really detailed where it's going to attract the people you want and repel the ones you don't. But really knowing what it is and writing it down where other people can read, this is who I am. This is what I want. And then they can start deciding for themselves. I want to be around this or I don't. And then also they can start thinking like, okay, how can we help achieve this goal? How can we help keep Jared on his love list so he can do these other things that's beneficial to me as a leader and really getting dialed in on that part and giving it a little range. If if you want, instead of being so specific, it's like, give it a little bit of range so people can kind of get creative within the framework of 
you know, this sort of North star, but those things and writing it down and being able to share it with a few people has been very impactful. And that was something I learned from Cameron Harold, listening to him talk and reading the book and it, it makes a big difference. Well, you've opened the door. I've got to walk in. Now, why write it down? Why is it not enough just to think it or to say it out loud or just to read the book? Why is writing it down so important in your opinion? It's the clarity of thought. Most extroverts think out loud and just ramble. And they might say X and get real passionate and the next day it's Y. Or, or it's really not the best answer. They're just passionate and can sell anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Introvert tends to write it down and think on it. And that was something I tried to adopt from that Susan Cain book. So mm-hmm. really it's the clarity of thought. It, it hurts. It hurt, like it hurts to write it down and it takes a long time to get a hundred pages into one or two. Mm-hmm. But when you do, you've got it. Now you have this leverage that's easy to share, easy for people to digest. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. In the past, I would have talked to you everything. Now I'm like, here, read this doc before we start a meeting. I have a business meeting after this and I, and I put four hours into organizing a video to send over ahead of time hmm. so they can wow. meditate on it and think on it and share with their spouse. And I wouldn't have done that a couple of years ago. Clarity of thought, writing it down. Well, thanks, Jared. Let's, uh, let's go back. How can listeners connect with you or follow you? What do they need to know? They can reach me at 555-555. Yeah, I'm starting to get a little more active on social media, sharing business Mm -hmm. and personal things that I I used to not share. used to only be soccer. So if you search Jared Muntz on Instagram or LinkedIn or Mm -hmm. I would say Facebook, but sometimes I hit the Facebook friend limit. So I'm not even sure if I'm like seeing the friend request or getting it, but giverfly.com has my email and yeah. Say hi on social. Awesome. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.